Hello, and welcome back to the Chem Talk podcast. On today's episode, we interview Laura Bickerton, a graduate student at the University of Oxford. While a graduate student, Laura researched stimuli responsive anion transport. From the time of the interview, she has since finished her PhD and was named one of the CAS Future Leaders for 2022 and presented her research at ACS Chicago and chaired the Molecular Recognition and Self-Assembly Symposium. Dr. Bickerton now works as a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Edinburgh in the Lutzby Group on the development of metal organic cages for catalytic applications. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so I'm Olivia from ChemTalk. And I'm Nafisa from ChemTalk. So today we're welcoming Laura Bickerton, who is a grad student at Oxford with the Langton Chemistry Group. We're super excited to talk to you today. Your research seems super interesting, and I think it's really good to hear from a grad student perspective. We actually haven't talked to a grad student yet. We've only talked to professors and other chemistry officials, but I think that having that grad student point of view is good to see just because we're all in different points of our careers in school, and I think that hearing from people from different points of their lives is interesting to hear as well, just because we're curious about what it's like at different parts of those lives. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So what made you decide to go to grad school? Or did you always know that you wanted to go to grad school? I know that the schooling system and university is different in the UK than the US. But what made you decide to go to grad school? I definitely did not know I was going to end up here. I was, I guess I started thinking about what I was going to do after my degree. So I studied biochemistry and biological chemistry, which sounds quite weird, but really I just did half biochemistry with life sciences and half chemistry in the chemistry department, the University of Nottingham. And I really had no idea what I was going to, I wanted to do. But over my degree, I loved labs. I loved chemistry labs. It was my favorite day of the week, which is quite sad, but like just working, yeah, practical labs were just my favorite. So I kind of knew I wanted to stay with that, but then I had no idea what area of chemistry. And I really had no exposure to academia at all. So I didn't really know anything about it. But I started having uh, these lectures in bio inorganic chemistry and the lecture was amazing. And I basically instantly knew this was the research I wanted to do or similar because um, I'm actually not doing exactly what the lectures were but that was it was when I sort of found my area of chemistry that I loved the most in those lectures so that was in my third and final year of my undergraduate degree um, and so I spoke to that professor Neil Champness who now is, uh, is at Birmingham University and it really went from there he sort of like opened my eyes to other professors and that's how I then found Paul Beer at Oxford and so I contacted him it was all like very much a coincidence so I contacted yeah. Paul saying like I love your work you know are there any spaces in the group to do a master's 
And he said, oh, well, I'm not really taking anyone, but there's a new professor called Matthew Langton and he's joining Oxford. So because the work is like kind of at the interface sort of with biology and because I'd done biochemistry, um, he thought it would be a good fit. And that's how I then joined uh, the Bay group and the Langton group, which is now the Langton group where I'm like mainly working with him now. Yeah, very sort of randomly, um, but somehow like all came together. So I joined Oxford at the same time my supervisor joined Oxford and we took it from there. So I was his first student. That's great. So yeah. has it been a unique experience for you and your supervisor since you've been coming into the school at the same time and kind of learning about Oxford together? Mm -hmm. Has that been like a different experience you think than it would be if, with someone who's been there for a long time? I think so. So he actually had done his undergrad at Oxford and his PhD actually at Oxford as well. So he kind of knew, you know, the situation and yeah. the university and like, you know, but I would say, you know, learning how to start a group, it was quite eye opening. I got to see the process of how that happens, how uh, like sort of building a lab, um, you know, creating an inventory for the chemicals all the sort of admin work behind that was really interesting especially because I really didn't know much about academia before um, joining the research group I was not a part of any research group during my undergraduate degree so I really did not know much like about that at all so it was it was really good yeah and it's it's quite sweet that I'm like his first PhD student as well it's quite cute yeah, that's great. So you mentioned that you originally wanted to do your master's. So did you switch to a PhD program like in the middle or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, I did. So I was initially just doing a master's at Oxford, so a research master's. And then, yeah, I just loved it so much um, that I then knew that I wanted to do a PhD. So I kind of already like tested the waters. And at that point, there was not funding for me to stay in Oxford. So I actually applied to the US actually. Um, oh, wow. I applied to many unis in the US. I think one in Scotland as well, I was thinking about, but it was quite funny. It was like the day after I'd submitted all my applications and I took like the GRE um, oh, in yeah. chemistry and which was horrible. Um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> horrible experience. But so I'd done all of that. And then it was like a week after those applications had all been submitted. And Matthew Langton said that he had managed to find funding for me to turn my master's into a PhD. So <laughs> it was like just funny that I'd, well, funny now, you know, that I'd gone through the whole GRE experience and all the application process and everything, which was quite extensive, then for yeah, him to for say sure. that actually I get to stay. So I was great. And like, it's all worked out really well because I loved the research. I love the research group as well. Um, and I wanted to stay. It was just a matter of funding. So my master's years now count towards my PhD. So I haven't sort of had to add any more time. So I will have done my three-year bachelor's degree and my PhD is going to be about three years as well overall. That's so. great. In yeah. the UK, is there not, not a similar standardized testing like the GRE? Was that something unique? Yeah, there's, we don't have that. Um, Probably Which good. I think is good, yeah. 
Yeah, so thankfully we don't have things like that. And I think they are getting rid of that in the US maybe, are they? Yeah, there's a push to get rid of a lot of standardized tests because they're considered standardized, but Mm. some people are not good test takers. I mean, I had to do, for college, I had to do Mm. the SAT, which is kind of like the high school version of the GRE and it's not fun. You know, it's, it's hard because you're timed and there's just, it just, it's not something that everyone is good at. And, you know, even no matter how hard you work, it can be something that's super difficult. I don't know if you've had to do SATs yet, Nafisa, or any standardized tests. I am taking the SAT in a few months. And let me tell you, it's not fun. Like, especially when you look at all the preparation and you're sort of like, Look, people look at you as if you have to do well on the SAT mm-hmm. to get into like a yeah. elite university in the U.S. And so for me, it hasn't been a fun experience, but you got to do what you got to do. And so, yeah. yeah, I think it's good that they're pushing to remove tests like that because it's crazy that your worth as a student or just how you're perceived as a student can be altered completely by a standardized test score when it's not really standardized. So it's not something in the U.S. education system that I love personally. And I hope by the time that if I decide to go to grad school, the GRE will be kind of pushed out of the way. Yeah, I I have to say, I mean, it's not, you know, I had to revise a lot of general chemistry for that, which on one hand is good, but a lot of it, or parts of it at least, weren't relevant anymore. And it was all, you know, it's just quite weird in a way basing someone's ability off that when research is so practical and you use like different skills to what you use for those exams so yeah yeah it's it's not a great system Mm. but luckily I mean you did have to take it but luckily it didn't end up reflecting but so since you started with Dr. Langton correct um as soon as you entered Oxford, have you been able to contribute to the other people who have joined the team? Like, were you able to have a say as well? Were you close with him and figuring those things out or was that more of his personal decision? Uh, Not in who joins the group, but we're very much linked to the beer group in that we share space. So a lot of people are involved in like the training of new people and helping them like fit into the research group and we have master students as well that join the group so I was assigned a master student to look after as well um, so in that regard and sort of like in the actual lab and like helping people that way that's sort of how I have my influence within the group. So I'm curious were you always interested in science or is there a story behind your interest in the field? Um, so I actually wanted to be a chef when I was 16 um, which I guess is why I love the practical side of chemistry so I wanted to be a chef this is what I was like planning on doing and I found chemistry particularly very hard at GCSE which is like when you're 15 16 but I had one particular teacher we we do GCSEs and then A levels when we're 17 and 18 and I remember a parent's evening at school and she was like, you know, Laura, you could actually do chemistry A-level. And I was I was kind of like, okay, you know, I do like it. I found it very hard. 
but then actually did take it for A-levels and just loved it. It was really in those two years when I was 17 and 18, just before going to uni, that I actually sort of found chemistry and started to really enjoy it. And even when it came to applying to university, I was still thinking about the cooking, so dietetics, nutrition, um, and I went to some open days for that, but just missed the chemistry and there wasn't that aspect in those degree courses. So very last minute, I changed my personal statement and applications and then went to Nottingham. Yeah, so I feel like it's, I've somehow come down this path and ended up here and it's all kind of worked out, but yeah, it's very random. Oh, that's super cool though. And I think that I think that we talk about this before, but in a way, like if you think of cooking and food, like they are chemicals and cooking is chemistry. There's actually a course at my university that's not for non-majors who need to complete a science credit and it's the cook, the chemistry of cooking. So there is that side to it. So I think that like, honestly, when you are in lab, it is kind of like following a recipe and putting the ingredients together and you're getting a product. It's obviously not like a a meal or baked good, but you're still getting a product that you can look at and that you put the work into. And cooking is still chemistry, like putting things together that you might not think will create a reaction and it does. So there is that relation. And I think that's super cool that cooking is kind of related in that way, but you don't normally think of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely why I love chemistry the most. Being in the lab is one of my like favorite parts of it yeah I think that really goes to show how versatile chemistry in general is like you being wanting to be a chef when you were 16 now you're in a research lab and even though it's something you really can't imagine doing at the age of 16 Mm -hmm. I think it really goes to show like how much chemistry is related to everything just around us in general yeah definitely definitely so I saw that with your lab that you your lab has certification with like green lab and promoting green chemistry. So I was just curious about how labs, like how you implement sustainable chemistry in labs, because that's something I've always been interested in. And I think that obviously right now, sustainability is really important. And with chemistry, I think there's that balance of you want to be safe and have the correct safety, but there's a lot of like plastics and like ways of disposing chemistry that and chemicals that can't always be sustainable just because of safety reasons. So I was just curious how your lab has implemented that. That's just something that I was thinking about. I came across my green lab very recently, actually, just because I started to thinking about think about it mainly with like my next steps and, you know, what I'm going to do after PhD and um, sustainable chemistries very interesting and like a a hot topic at the moment and I was just googling and found my green lab and they do this course um, where you can learn about how you can make your lab more green you know as green as you can be Um, you know each individual fume hood using so much energy there's not much doesn't seem like there's much we can do about that but I really I learned a lot on that course um, even just adding these tiny little screws to the ends of taps um, aerates the water and makes you use less water so actually we do have those already Um, but I would say um, there's not 
much we implement at the moment. I think there's a lot more development we need to do, especially with things like, I think in the US they have glove recycling facilities. I don't think we have that in the UK, but I'm like very new to learning all about it. But yeah, I do highly recommend the course. It's a free course by My Green Lab and you can learn about all these sorts of things. But I can't say we've implemented too much yet, but we do our best. Um, you know, we use a lot of disposable pipette tips, you know, the plastic. So that's yeah. one thing I want to try and change. It is difficult, though, with that balance of making sure that you are having good lab method where you're not contaminating other things, especially with biochemistry and bio, like biological systems. I know that contamination is a huge thing that you have to make sure you're really careful about. So you need to use those tips like only once or twice and get rid of them. But then at the same time, it's it's a hard balance. But that's something that I think it's good things like my green chemistry exists and there's ways to implement different things. But I just was curious because I saw that and I know, especially in like a more biological style lab, you have to be super careful with contamination. So I was just curious yeah. about that. With being a grad student in a lab, do you have a lot of freedom in the lab? Do you have your own projects that you work on or are you following under one specific basis? I would say we do have a fair amount of freedom. It, I mean, I think it kind of depends at what point your supervisors uh, are at with in their own career. As I've said, Matthew Langton uh, joined and started his group when I joined his group. And he had a sort of vision and projects outlined, especially because I was coming in as a master's student. So I wasn't expected to come up with my own ideas right away. Can't say I had any either. Um, so I was very glad for any direction. But there is a fair amount of research, like flexibility, and you can come up and explore your own ideas and discuss them, um, decide whether they're actually good or not, which is quite fun and test them out. Yeah, to a certain extent. But I think sometimes your ideas need reining in and that's what the boss is there for, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So currently your research is focused on similar response components that can be applied to synthetic biology. Could you talk a little bit about what exactly you're doing and um, what kind of experiments you're doing in the lab to perform this research? So I'm working on stimuli responsive anion transport. Um, so I don't know if you know uh, channelopathies such as like, cystic fibrosis, another one called Best disease. They're caused by mutations in the ion channels in membranes. And so we're trying to create systems that bypass those channels. So we're making mobile carriers that can transport those anions across membranes. So my work is primarily the design um, and synthesis of those molecules. And then we make synthetic vesicles to do transport assays in. Um, so I would say my work is 50% synthesis, 50% testing in synthetic cells. And so, as you said, now I'm 
I've uh, recently published some paper on making the carriers selective for particular anions, in particular chloride, um, which is implicated in cystic fibrosis. And now we want to make them stimuli responsive so we can actually control the transport. So I'm working to control the transport with light, actually. So yeah, so I'm currently trying to make some of those molecules and then eventually we'll test them in transport assays, which are typically like fluorescence, titrations, fluorescence assays, like kinetic studies. That's really interesting, especially thinking about using light as a stimulus for something like that. I feel like it's something that I wouldn't think of, especially if you're considering something like cystic fibrosis, you wouldn't think of using light as a stimulus. So I think that's super interesting how you guys are implementing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, so we're doing that and then also looking at maybe chemical stimulus, so glutathione and um, some other sort of ways we can control transport and then also um, intravesicular uh, communication as well. So using like different stimuli, but together within the same system or even two different wavelengths of light to have like much more control over what is going across the membrane. That's super cool. So what is, would you say is the biggest difference between being in grad school versus being an undergrad? Obviously you said that before in undergrad, you weren't in a lab group prior, but besides that, what's different and what do you like better? What do you like worse? Or just, just, I want to hear a little bit of the difference of the two, you know? I would say it's quite different in all, uh, almost every way, you know, as a youth <laughs> yes. student, you're going to classes, what you're learning is kind of predetermined and, you know, you'll do a reaction in the lab and we already know the answer because it was prepared for you to learn. Whereas being a grad is not like that at all you know you'll be working yeah. on projects where we don't know the answer we don't know whether it's going to work so it's kind of like that in terms of the work but then even day-to-day -day, you know life is much different you know you're expected to work as if it's a job really and so that's quite a big difference from just doing uh, an undergraduate degree um, just the, the sort of lifestyle change as well but also having like a lot of freedom of your own time. You know, you're sort of like your own boss in a way. And if you don't do the work, no one's going to do it for you. So that's kind of something to learn as well. Yeah, there's quite a few differences, but um, I do prefer it. And like, I do love being in the lab. So getting rid of the, not boring, but can be boring lectures. Um, yeah. And going and doing your own work uh, where you're more in control is really fun. And there are, of course, like still like lectures you can go to, but it's, you know, all much more optional. Hands-on learning. Like, obviously, in undergrad, there is lab, but I think that that hands-on learning and creating your own questions and not knowing the answers is really important for understanding science. And I think that Sometimes it can be disheartening when you come up with a question and you want to know the answer and like you think that you can figure out a way to get to it, but then it fails. But then it teaches you that like your first time isn't always going to work and you need to, especially with science, there's so much to be discovered. There's so much that's unknown and 
you're going to have to try multiple times. And I feel like that also just is good for life lessons too, is kind of accepting failure. And I think that that's a difficult thing in the STEM fields, but it's an important thing for just general life as well too. Yeah, yeah. You definitely learn how to fail, I would say, during a chemistry PhD, but in a good way almost. You build resilience um, and eventually, you know, if you work hard enough at it, it, you get there. But you also find a lot of understanding when things go wrong as well. You know, you learn more about, you often learn more about some chemical system when it doesn't go the way you want it to than if it was just to work first time, so... No, exactly. And you can also learn if something goes quote unquote wrong, but you learn something new about it, it can turn into an application for something else later. And it provides you so much more information that you wouldn't have known before, which I think is really cool about science and doing research and things that aren't discovered yet. But I think that it is, it could definitely be something that someone could struggle with at first, especially since there is a lot of failure involved but not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it's also quite good to have like a good supportive uh, group around you. I'm quite lucky that the Beer and Langton group, uh, my colleagues are really nice and, you know, very supportive. And when things go wrong, we can discuss it with each other and help each other. So definitely need that. No, I think having a supportive group around you, obviously when you're, in grad school I guess like you talked about before you have more of working on your own projects at times and are responsible for your own things but I think that there it's good to learn that independence but at the same time having that support system as a group around you and being able to get feedback and kind of learning that even though you're doing things with independence you also have other colleagues and people to rely on who you can provide other ideas or they can provide other ideas to you and I think that's another way that discoveries and things like happen so much is because of collaboration yeah yeah definitely definitely so what would you say is like the most rewarding part about doing all this amazing research that honestly has the potential to change the world one day I think just seeing all the results come together um, when you've been working on something for so long, so I'm making these iron transporters and each one, I swear, is like my child. And when it all comes together into either it's a publication or just, you know, a report for your supervisor or something like that, and you've made all the figures and all the data fits together, I think seeing that and being able to look back on actually how much you've achieved in that time Um, because you don't really realize it at the time when you're just there pipetting doing these experiments but when you're able to look back you can appreciate it all coming together and fitting into a story I think that's probably the most rewarding part of it and when just when you know you've purified a compound and it's you get a really great NMR that's also a really really rewarding time (laughs) so yeah a good NMR is always a blessing. Mm-hmm. You don't have yeah. to decipher it. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, I think that, especially with science and, and research, when you're doing the same, not the same thing necessarily, but you're kind of going through the motions of doing similar things every day and you kind of forget why you're doing it sometimes. And that when you can get to that final aspect where you see things work out and come together it's just like you take a step back and you're like wow 
my yeah. work paid off, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. which is a great feeling. So I understand that being a very rewarding feeling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm starting to think about writing my final thesis as well. So I'm doing quite a lot of that at the moment, like trying to look at the whole picture and the bigger picture of why I've done each experiment that I have and reflecting on that. So. Yeah. So when you do a thesis for grad school, do you do it related to the group you're working with or do you usually go outside of that? Is it based on your specific research that you're doing currently or is it like a, are you branching off of a new idea off of that research yeah so my thesis will have so you typically have like an introduction chapter um very similar to like a literature review based on the area that you've been working with and then my particular thesis if all goes to plan i will have three main chapters of my own work and the story sort of develops so i've started out by making these iron carriers proof of concept really to show that we can do it my second chapter is uh, going to be on how we can improve the selectivity so that we know that they're going to transport chloride specifically. And then my final chapter will be what I'm working on now, which is how we're going to control that with light. And then the rest is conclusions and experimental. So that's kind of the overview of how I'm going to present my thesis. That's, that's the super, plan anyway. Yeah, that's great though, because I feel like, again, that's another example of like, rather than it just being on, I guess, on a smaller scale, that's kind of like your whole time, you know, you're doing your work day to day. And then once you complete it, you'll have this whole thing kind of showing everything you've actually done. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like a trophy, like you can look at it in the future and reminisce on everything you did. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So... I was just curious, besides your current advisor, is there anyone that has kind of been a role model for you in chemistry or just has been a role model for you throughout your time going through chemistry, not necessarily someone in the chemistry field? I would say there's been quite a few people along my journey, even, like even starting at school. I had really good maths teachers, even in primary school that I still remember that were always encouraging. And then when I was doing my A-levels, when I was like 17, 18, I had a really good chemistry teacher. And then, as I said before, the um, professor, Neil Champness, who kind of directed me to where I am now um, with his lectures. They're people that I really look up to, like all the really encouraging teachers that I've had like along the way. And of course, like my two bosses, so like uh, Paul Beer and Matthew Langton as well. Like I would be nowhere without them either. So yeah, they've had a big impact on like my story as it were. That's great. I think that it's really important to have role models throughout mm -hmm. your time going through school, regardless of what direction you're going. But I think that what's so interesting too is that you sometimes when you take a step back you don't realize how impactful some people were when you were super young too yeah, like yeah. going back to primary school having people that have impacted where you are today and you may not even think about it at the time but then you look back and realize how important they were at that time which I think is just crazy how people can impact your life just going throughout it but I think that having role models in chemistry or just 
throughout your time in school is really important and it helps kind of shape who you are in a way even if they don't realize yeah yeah definitely and so do you have any advice for students uh, undergraduate students who would like to go to grad school just like you or do you have any advice for them as to how to accept failure like we mentioned before I think my advice on like how to go to grad school I would say start early this is something I didn't do but researching the topics of chemistry that you like and actually talking to your undergrad professors so I remember when I was um, at uni we had lecturers but we were quite distant from them there was no we didn't have many sort of like small classes so it seemed quite daunting to actually go and talk to them because you you know you're in a lecture hall of like 300 people but actually going up and talking to them emailing scientists that you like the work um just contacting them and yeah definitely thinking about like what areas of chemistry that you like as early as you can but obviously you know i found i discovered what i wanted to do very late in my degree so things can all work out in terms of building resilience to like put up with the failures and when things don't work I really don't know. I, I would say I'm still working on that now. I do get quite frustrated with myself when my mood is so linked to whether a reaction has worked. And I know I shouldn't be like that, but it's just because I care so much about, about it. So I don't, I don't know if I've got any advice for that, but if you find anyone that knows how to deal with that, definitely let me know. <laughs> Will do. But yeah, I think that it's, difficult because it's like in some ways it's good that you care so much about what you're doing that the failures do impact you but then at the same time it's like you want to be able to come back from the failure and learn yeah. from it and kind of accept it but I think that that's a balance that's super hard and I think even with school and work that's something that is just in general failure is difficult to cope with especially if it is something that you care about so yeah, I'm also looking for that, that advice too. Yeah. I think what helped me, I guess one thing that helped me is sort of applying for so much that you'll get at least one thing. So this, you know, when applying to grad schools or even like travel funding for conferences, scholarships, random bits of funding that you can get. I applied for everything that I was eligible for, which meant I did get, you know, something back from that whether it's like 10 applications and you get one win that's yeah that's one way to do it anyway no exactly I think that kind of happens when applying for college too for university you know you put up a bunch of applications out there and you're bound to receive failure so I think think sometimes it can help when there's an expected failure but you yeah. know that you're still going to end up somewhere yeah. so I think, I think that's a good way to go about it is to kind of put things out there and try to like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, yeah. you know, put, put the feelers out everywhere and you're bound to find something that works and you might have some failures along the way, but you'll still get that potential one out of it. So yeah, yeah, I, agree. I think that's good advice. That's amazing for me because I'm applying to university in a year and so like here, the admissions to Elite University has gotten so competitive and I'm so scared, but 
Yeah, I guess it's really important to like really space out your options and like test test out different um, areas that you're interested in. And yeah, I'll keep that in mind a year yeah. from now when I'm applying. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing to note, I think, is that it's not always about the university. More about, uh, particularly with. Um, being a postgraduate research student it's about the work that you're going to do and the person you're going to work with less about the actual university so that's kind of one thing to note it doesn't always matter if you're not at what uh, the public would assume is the best university ever but if you're within like a really good research group that's almost all that matters because that's where you're going to spend all your time no, so I would exactly. say people applying to uni should definitely know that yeah I think one thing similar to that that I learned that someone once told me well obviously it's all about how you apply yourself no matter where you go but one thing that someone told me even if you're planning on going to grad school or law school doc to like a med school like whatever you're planning on doing there's going to be people that end up at the same place as you no matter where they came from so there was someone that I was talking to before who was going to law school and they went to a prestigious undergraduate school and they were at the same place as someone who went to just like a, maybe a public university. I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember what she said, but she was like, they had almost applied themselves more and put more work in me than me and were at a better standing because they had put the work in and I'd kind of just like, gotten there but we'd gotten to the same place yeah I don't know if that makes sense but yeah, again it's, yeah. it's just a lot of how you apply yourself it doesn't matter where you end up because what you want to do like if you work hard and you care about it you're going to get to do something that you enjoy but I think that it can be hard at times like I know when applying to universities it's like a lot of people around you are applying to like very prestigious schools and you want to go to those two and everything but I think like I've learned too especially as growing up like really applying yourself no matter where you are is gonna be what impacts you in the long run but I think it can be hard to see that at times yeah so just another question kind of different but since you've kind of had chemistry from when you were young to undergrad to now do you think that you have seen a difference in how people perceive chemistry or like whether it be students around you, whether it be general public? I'm not sure actually, which is quite sad in many ways because I think it's still perceived, especially at school as like the hard subject. Um, And when I talk to like my friends or even, you know, family that aren't within the field, they're almost immediately put off by chemistry and they're like, oh, you know, I won't understand anything. And I think that aspect is still there, which is quite sad because actually during my uh, first year of my undergrad, I was a teaching assistant um, in a school on like one day a week. I was doing my degree, obviously at the same time, in a chemistry classroom and the children about... 13 I would say and they all found it like very hard and there was still that perception there and that was only a few years ago so I think something definitely needs to change 
quite you know in the early stages of when chemistry is introduced to children like make it more fun I would say you know and and also like show the bigger picture of where chemistry can lead lead to I remember when I was at school we had some people come in with mass spec like tabletop mass spec and someone was like oh you know they use these on the side of like formula one racetracks and I was like oh my god that's amazing like who would ever think that but that's like immediately all of us as children were engaged like much more engaged when you can see how chemistry is actually applied to real life situations so I don't know hopefully we can work on that um yeah no exactly I completely agree and that's kind of what chem talk is trying to do is trying to change that perception because exactly like you said being a chem major myself whenever I tell friends and family that who aren't in the field it's very it's looked at as just being really hard and people don't even really want to have a conversation about it I feel like what like they don't even want to hear about maybe what you're doing they're like oh wow that's crazy I you're you must like know how to I don't know but you you know people just don't even they don't really want to have a conversation about it what compared to I think other subjects which I think is sad and I think part of it is from a young age maybe the way that chemistry is taught people think it's difficult which I think is something that you know we want to work on we want it to become more fun we want to change that perception and make it more acceptable around the world so like that people from anywhere regardless if you want to go deep into the field or not but we're trying to change that public perception because you know people could really enjoy it and they might not even know just because it is does have the perception that it does that it's just difficult yeah yeah as well like the perception of chemistry is definitely improving I think like the general public still fails to realize the applications of chemistry around us like you mentioned before cooking like the things we do in our daily life is related to chemistry and so I think really pushing the general public to understand that and understanding the applications is a huge step to improving the overall perception of chemistry in general. Yeah, yeah. And it is like partly our job, I guess, as well, on like making it more relatable. I find like people start to sort of understand my research more when I talk about it uh, and how it relates to cystic fibrosis because that's often like something that people have heard of so that's good with something that I can do and like explain it in terms that everyone can understand but yeah we'll take time yeah it's definitely something difficult but I think that if we try if we try to work on it you know yeah. it could it could it could work out and I think that part of it too is like obviously there's like the perception that chemistry is difficult but then there's also that perception around chemicals as well as like chemicals being bad and then chemistry is bad but then you just don't think about like exactly like cooking like washing your hands like you're using chemicals you are a chemical like combination of everything but obviously that people don't think about that so that's something that we hope changes and we would like to contribute to changing for the better but you know I think that's something that in the STEM field that like is hard to cope with sometimes but I think that 
you know, if we are all working together to help change that perception, yeah, it can work out well. Yeah. Yeah. And like the series of interviews, this podcast, we're all the aim, the mission is really one goal to improve the perception of chemistry and you like being on the podcast, you are serving as a role model for people who may not like chemistry at the moment. And so thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's It was really great talking to you and understanding like the student feel of being in chemistry because so far we've only had professors on the podcast. And so your perspective really added on to my thinking and how I perceive chemistry. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've loved it. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. I think that hearing from professors in this aspect, I think has been beneficial because a lot of times, like you said, you may be in a larger lecture hall and might not be able to have that different type of in-depth conversation about how that professor got to where they were. But I think at the same time, it's just as important to hear from younger people and especially like for us, like younger women in STEM too. I think that it's important to hear that perspective and like how they got there and like how you perceive chemistry and how you perceive like the work at this time as well. So I think it's super cool and I appreciate your perception and your perspective on everything. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree because I've really had no idea and I've learned almost everything I know now about research and sort of what I'm doing now and like doing a PhD basically on the job. And so to have things like this, to know more, uh, is like so helpful, I think, to younger students. Um, so Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say or ask about or share or uh, tell I anyone? Uh, right. I do have um, an Instagram actually uh, for column chromatography. So we're trying to make column chromatography more fun. I don't know if you know or you've done it in your uh, degrees. So yeah, follow that on Twitter and Instagram and we try and make what can be the horrible process of doing a column and purifying compounds much more fun with those posts. I love that. No, that sounds super fun. I'll definitely give that a follow and we'll put it in the show notes too for this so that everyone else can give it a follow. And that's another way of contributing to making, you know, parts that may seem like the bad part of chemistry more fun. So kind of like what we do too. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the ChemTalk podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on today's episode and countless chemistry resources, please visit our website at www.chemistrytalk.org.